Hello friends and welcome back into the pod. I just wanted to come to you on the Friday of Labor Day weekend and talk a little bit about travel. And it's probably not going to be the travel uh, segment that you thought it was going to be. Um, But with everybody traveling much more now, back up to above levels seen before the pandemic, um, I think it's great to talk about. And honestly, I think it's wonderful that people are out there traveling. I've seen so many people um, of my clients and friends who have taken bucket list trips or just trips they've always necessarily wanted to take and just haven't taken the time. But being stuck in your house for a couple of years kind of gives you a real impetus to get out there. So I think it's wonderful. Um, We don't travel as much as both of us would like, but that's due to our jobs, my owning a business and my husband being a busy executive. But we have plans to get out there more and uh, we're hoping to do that ASAP. What I'd like to talk about is the fact that being out of my house for only about 90 minutes at this point, I have experienced some nuttiness. Now, I know it's a full moon, and I know it's the full blue moon, and I know it's the second full moon in August because it happened yesterday. Um, but seriously, people, let's talk. Okay, walking, a first form of transportation. Now, in New England, we have our roads, which were basically, not in all cases, but basically, mostly, they were the horse trails and the buggy trails, and they just paved them and made roads. So there wasn't a lot of engineering, thoughtfulness, stuff that goes into putting in new roads now, um, which can be annoying because that means no sidewalks, no shoulder, um, and no room for people walking along busier streets. If you're walking along a busy street that has no shoulder and no uh, sidewalk, I live off of a street that is super narrow. It's a Westford Scenic Road, and literally there are bar- there's barely enough room for cars, especially cars like an SUV like I have, okay? So I have to hug the vegetation on the right to not go into the oncoming lane. But then you get people who are walking with their dogs, with their kids in their strollers. Literally, there is no room. I'm not kidding. I have to come to a complete stop most of the time to get by um, without going, you know, without hitting the oncoming car. So what ends up happening is I have to come to a full stop, wait till the oncoming car passes me, go into the other lane to go around these people, and then, um, you know, there you have it. So uh, I don't understand this. First of all, if you're walking on a busy road, you need to walk against traffic so you can see what's coming. When you have oncoming traffic behind you, you can't jump out of the way if somebody is stupidly on their phone while they're driving. Okay, it's just, you can't. You can't see them coming. And you might not hear them, especially if you have maybe a crying baby. And you've got to keep your dog close to the other side. You need to be between your dog and the cars. But please, walk opposing traffic. I know it's a pain. Especially if you come from a state like I do that has sidewalks and bike lanes and all sorts of things. Well, we don't have that here. We have some, but we don't have all. So you have got to be off your phone, paying attention, walking against traffic. And maybe if you're going to walk your neighborhood... Walk it at a time when you know it's quiet because I've already seen this morning potential almost deaths and people going to jail for vehicular manslaughter 
And that's not really, it doesn't make for a nice weekend when you get arrested for vehicular manslaughter and somebody loses a family member because the person walking was on the phone and maybe the person driving was on the phone, I don't know. But come on, I, I saw near misses already today. So we all have to be a little bit more um, aware. But walkers especially, don't assume, ask, that people are going to pay attention for you because they're not. So you got to pay attention for yourself, dude. You've got to pay attention for yourself. You hear what I'm saying? Um, now, on to bicycling. Listen, I have a bicycle. My husband has a bicycle. My brother has a bicycle. We enjoy bike riding. Um, that would be bicycle riding. Um, I think it's great. It's a terrific form of exercise. We have a lot of bike trails around here and the rail trail, and it's awesome. And it's fun, and you get air and good exercise and all of those things. But again, in our area of New England, in the city it's better, but up here, still not sidewalks everywhere, barely any bike uh, lanes, I should say. We have bike trails, but not bike lanes. And I've come up on bike riders riding four across into the lane and not paying attention that there are cars that are on the road because they're on the road because that's where cars go. So here's my thing. I know that the shoulder, when there is one, has potholes and bumps and grates and manholes and it can be dangerous to bike with all those bumps and lumps. But dudes, dudes, you've got to plan your ride. There's a, a very nice road. It, I don't think it's a scenic road uh, through Westford into Concord, Mass, but it's beautiful. And it's a pretty busy road. Literally zero shoulder, like the street that I live off of. Zero shoulder. And people love to bike it because it's got flats, it's got hills. It's great for a bike ride. But dudes, there is no fucking shoulder. So every car has to come to an almost complete stop when there are cars coming the opposite way to wait for the bikes. Because you can't get around the bikes without going into the opposite opposing lane. And it is super dangerous. And here's the deal. If you're not paying attention and you're riding a bike, then uh, yikes, yikes. Someone's gonna die. And then the person on the bike's family is gonna be indignant. And honestly, we all have to take responsibility. You can't, as a bike rider or a walker, expect the people in the cars to do all the watching out for you. Because when I get to the car segment, you're gonna see why. Because it's, it's fucked up, okay? So if you're able to ride on a rail trail or an actual dedicated bike trail, or in a dedicated bike lane, then obviously that's the, the optimal of what you want to do. But sometimes that's not accessible. Or sometimes you're riding to and from work to save the planet, which I give you kudos for, 110%. But my people, that doesn't mean that the area that you're driving or riding in is optimal for your safety and the safety of the cars too. Uh, unfortunately, again, we're in New England. They literally just said, oh, look, this is a dirt, quote, road where all the buggies and horses went. Let's pave it and make it a street. 
Oh, great. And that probably makes perfect sense when it comes to travel, but it doesn't always make sense when it comes to engineering and how, like right now I'm at a five um, road intersection, which people don't really know what to do with anything with. They're not sure what to do. And we have multiple of these five or six roads feeding into one intersection because that's how it was when the horses were riding around. It's nuts. Okay. It's absolute nuts. Like they should have cut off that small residential street and made it a dead end. And then people have to go around to get through this intersection because it's crazy. Chelmsford center, Westford center. They're all screwed up. There's, there was no engineering. There was no planning. It was just the buggy trail. And it's crazy because people almost die in these intersections. I almost died in the Westford intersection last night. I'm waiting for people and people are stopping where there's not a stop sign. They're going where there is a stop sign. I'm like, oh, oh my God. Oh my God right now. So cars, listen, here's the deal. If you don't have hands-free in Massachusetts, if you don't have a car that has Bluetooth, there are adapters that you can get so that you will have Bluetooth in your car. I've gotten one for my husband's car. Okay. That way he can have Bluetooth because he doesn't have it. And we have a law in Massachusetts that says you cannot hold your phone while you're driving. Even the GPS app Waze has a function that tells you a pop-up that tells you if you're driving, do not use this function. You have to be stopped to put in your destination and all of that stuff. And those are for safety. This is for the safety of bikes, bike riders, walkers, and other cars. Because when you're driving a car, it is a deadly weapon. It weighs thousands of pounds and can run over a person very easily. We don't want that. We don't want to have anyone hurt. We don't want to have your car cracked up. We don't want to have you hurt when you're driving. But people have been taught to drive. I honestly don't know, to be completely honest with you, what is being taught in driving schools. What I can see is that people are unaware of the traffic laws. Um, they are coming to a complete stop in the middle of a lane. On a, I haven't experienced it on the highway in a while, but they'll just arbitrarily stop. There's no street. There's no driveway. There's no animal in the road. There's no person in, a ro in the road. They just arbitrarily, you know, stop. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Like, what, what's happening? And I'm behind the person and I give them a little beep, just not a long one, just a quick beep. So they're aware that I'm there and they just sit there and then they just all of a sudden keep going. What, what are you doing? There was no attempt to pull over, not even a little bit, not even if there was no shoulder and they just uh, needed to pull over to the side. Um, to adjust their GPS or take a phone call or answer a text or whatever it is. They just arbitrarily stopped. Just arbitrarily. Just no, you know, rhyme nor reason. Just decided, 
I'm driving and now I'm stopping. Um, I've seen that so many times every week. It's not even funny. It's not a joke. I don't understand what's happening because you're going to cause an accident. And I don't understand why people are doing that. By the way, when you're driving somewhere, you need to put your blinker on when you change lanes, when you are coming towards your turn, um, putting it on when you're on top of your turn, not okay. Never putting your blinker on. And I know this is a controversy in New England because very few people use their blinker. Okay. You got to use your blinker. Okay. When you're on the highway, a three lane highway, and you want to change lanes and you look, or you have the assistance of your car to tell you if there's a car to the right or left of you, you still need to use your blinker because people need to see your intention to turn or come into the lane or whatever. So many, um, modes of travel right now, people are either not paying attention, don't care to pay attention, are distracted. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but in the hour and a half to two hours, I was out of my house this morning. It was bananas that people are just driving, walking and biking. Like they're the only people on the planet. And as much as I'm super happy that people are getting out and about, and it's great to see kids riding their bikes and adults riding bikes and people walking and doing exercise outside, the weather is perfect and all those things, driving with your sunroof open and your, your, um, your window down and all of those great things. It's also um, perplexing to me that people are not able to function behind the wheel of a car, behind the wheel of a bike with their feet walking without understanding that there are other people around. And I think it's a symptom of the greater problem that we're having where people were shown an example over the last seven years of somebody who is in the public eye, who doesn't give a shit about anybody but themselves for real, even their own children. And they just show people that, yeah, you can be a selfish asshole and not care that anybody else is even on the planet and you can succeed just like me. So do it. Don't use your blinker. Walk out in the middle of the street without caring if there are cars coming. Ride your bike four abreast in a lane. Um, oh, is there a car behind me? Oh, there are cars. Oh, is this a road? No, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. Just like it's not okay for you to um, be in a parking spot, have your doors open on one side, whether you're loading your car with packages or children or both, and be completely oblivious that someone is patiently waiting for that spot. And you're just like, la, 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 let me talk to my kid about life. Let me sort my groceries. Let me rearrange my back seat. Let me go through my receipts at the drive-thru ATM and alphabetize them. Oh, there's a line of cars behind me. Oh, I had no idea. What? 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 Like, why are you not aware that there are other people on the planet? Why? Because it's not okay. You know, we all have to inhabit society together. And that means that if I am in a busy place and I'm in a parking spot and I'm coming out of the store or whatever have you, and, um, 
I see that someone's waiting for my parking spot because there aren't any other ones. I'm going to quickly get out of my parking spot and move down and out of the way. And if I need to do something in my car, I'll do it at that time. I'm not going to sit there and 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 sit there, aggravating this person on purpose. That's like hurting somebody on purpose. Now, are they going to die if they don't get my parking spot? No. But you know what? Why, why is there a penchant from a lot of people to just make other people's lives harder? Why? Now, maybe I'm more sensitive to it because I had a narcissistic mother who thought it was funny to make mine and my brother's lives harder. She didn't give a shit and she thought it was funny. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you trip over that? <laughs> Watch where you're going. No, you left it there on purpose. Okay. That's not funny. You guys, it's not funny and it's not kind and it's not nice. You got all these people who walk around screaming, be kind, be kind, be kind. These are the people that are not kind. It's like, if you got to talk about sex, you're not having any. It's the same thing here. If you got to tell everybody else to be kind, you're probably not being kind. That is my experience. The people that are screaming the loudest for other people to be kind are not themselves kind. They undermine people, they backstab people, they backchat people, they gossip, they do all sorts of things that are not kind. And I don't get it. So if you're traveling in any mode of transportation, now I didn't talk about a unicycle, I didn't talk about a motorcycle. Motorcycle to me goes with a car because they follow the same rules and laws as cars, okay? Um, we didn't talk about uh, if you're riding a tricycle if you're, you know, whatever, any mode of transportation you're using, you've got to watch out for other people. You just have to. And honestly, if you are one of those people that hates people and doesn't want to have to consider others, then you should move to Montana and get a ranch that's a hundred acres and grow your own food and just stay there and don't interact with others. Because honestly, the rest of us hold a door for someone say, excuse me, if I'm in the grocery store, like I briefly was today, and I have to walk, someone's staring at a set of shelves because they're looking for something. And I, they, there's way more than enough space for me to walk in between them and the shelf that they're looking at. I say, excuse me, just so that they know that I acknowledge that they're looking for something. And I realize I'm walking in their, their line of sight. I think it's, it's appropriate behavior. And usually people go, Oh no, you're fine. It's okay. And it's like, I, I know I'm fine, but I want you to know that I care about you and I see that you're looking for something and I don't want to like stop you from doing it or interrupt you doing it or whatever it is. And it's the same thing. If you hold a door for someone and you put away your, your carriage in the grocery store parking lot, don't just leave your carriage in front of your car on a beautiful sunny day like it is today. There's literally no reason. Now, if you're handicapped, that's different. But I'm talking about people who I've watched it in parking lots and you probably have too. They just unload their groceries and the, the carriage corral is like right there and they just leave the carriage in the next open parking spot so someone can't pull in there. Like, what are you doing, asshole? Like, what are you doing? I just said it. You're being an asshole. Like, why? 
Why can't you put your carriage away? Are you that important that someone else should do your stuff for you? No, none of us is. Now, if it's pouring rain or, or blizzard conditions, all right, I'll give you a pass. But when it's nice out, I ain't giving you a pass. Hell no. What are you doing? Stop that. That's rude. I don't understand that. Why are you riding four abreast on a bicycle? Why are you taking your child, your dog, your child in a stroller, your dog, and your spouse and walking all the way into the lane on the street that I live on when there is literally curves you can't see around and you're walking with traffic so you can't see cars coming that might hit you? Why are you doing that? What, what thought process did you go through that thought that was a good idea? I just don't know. So if we can, all those of us who are willing to be more aware, we can save each other. And those of you that are not willing to be aware, I'm, I'm bringing it to your attention so maybe the next time you'll be aware and we can avoid a tragedy. And we can all be safe on Labor Day weekend. Hello everyone and welcome back into the pod. I've um, joined a couple of Facebook groups that have to do with um, daughters of narcissistic mothers and it's been really helpful to read other people's stories and you know I was in a lot of therapy when I was younger and you know I still do draw on that information and those uh, lessons that I learned of how to deal with different things. I don't obviously always do it perfectly or well even but I still have those lessons and they are very valuable. Um, but what I will say is reading other people's stories, um, about dealing with a narcissistic mother. Um, first it makes you feel not alone, just like any other issue that you may be facing. Knowing that you're not alone is one of the biggest, um, helps when it comes to dealing with issues in your life. And secondarily, um, I'm able to be of some help, I hope, to others. Um, (laughs) clearly I don't have all the answers to anything, but I can certainly give insights, um, now that my mother has passed. And, you know, before my mother passed, there was a lot. And I'm kind of formulating a post to kind of introduce myself, um, which other people do on these boards as well. Um, So you kind of know where people are coming from. And I think it's great because it makes you feel a little bit more connected to the group, even though it's only online. And um, it also um, helps people to relate to you when you make your um, comments or insights or whatever it might be. And really what I want to say to anybody who's listening is that, you know, there are a lot of us out there who deal with narcissistic mothers. And you know what? Narcissism, I think, is taken very lightly in a lot of cases. Oh, she's just wrapped up in herself or he's just wrapped up in himself and they'll grow out of that. It's a young person thing, a young adult thing. It's, you know, this or that. And it's kind of poo-pooed. Um, I just want to say to everyone out there that this is a huge problem. Um, when you become a parent now, I was never be able to never able to become a parent of human children. Um, I am a parent to, um, my puppy children and while it's not the same, definitely not. Um, it is super important that people understand that, I can see as the child 
of a severely narcissistic mother. My mother was a malignant narcissist with uh, sociopathy. Okay. She was a psychopath, parts of her personality, um, that this is a real problem. And I am no psychologist, psychiatrist, doctor, uh, learned person in the area of psychiatry. I just know how I felt being the child and going through therapy and talking about it. This is a very difficult thing for the children, not just daughters of narcissistic parents. My dad was the complete opposite of a narcissist. My dad was a selfless giving person who loved us unconditionally. And thank God we had that, even though we did not have it for a huge part of our lives. My brother was 13. I was 16 when my dad, our dad passed away. That was the end of having a parent that loved us unconditionally. Now, of course, we know and we believe that our dad is loving us from heaven. And so we still do have that in our lives. Unfortunately, we can't hear it, see it, touch it. None of that. So that makes it difficult. But that being said, having had to deal with a narcissistic mother until we were 51 and 54 years old is uh, a lot. And it's beyond a lot. Because here's what happens when you have a narcissistic mother. Now, those of you who may have or have had narcissistic fathers, um, I don't know how that is. I did not have that. I had a narcissistic mother. So I'm going to speak to that. Okay. Having a narcissistic mother means that every single thing you do, say, wear, choose, anything and everything is judged by your parent. Okay. Um, you are put down for doing the normal things of life, making normal childhood mistakes. I never took drugs. I never drank to excess. Um, I never, uh, crap, got pregnant. I never was, um, having a lot of boyfriends and running around town. And I came in at my curfew and I worked all through school starting at 14 because that was the age in Montana that we could start a part-time job. I worked at McDonald's, um, all the time as much as I possibly could to stay out of the house. And I was still judged for everything. Um, I remember one time, I don't even know how old I was. I changed my clothes like twice in one day, which I do all the time. And one day I was probably, uh, I'm guessing 11 or 12. My mother said, if you're going to change your clothes more than once a day, then you need to learn to do your own goddamn laundry. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I get that. I did not sass that. I did not argue with that. Um, I did my own laundry. And it wasn't like what I consider to be a regular mom, where a regular mom might say, um, honey, you know, I think it's time that you learn to do laundry. This will be a skill that you're going to need when you go off to college and when you are an adult. And so I'm going to teach you how to do laundry. No, my mom did not teach me how to do laundry. She just told me to do my own goddamn laundry. That's not how, how you mother. All the mothers I've seen, my friends who are moms, um, my friends' moms who I was around, didn't talk like that to their kids. And I don't mean the swearing. 
I mean the attitude of, um, you're irritating me, so do it yourself. Um, and my mom did that frequently. My mom loved to like pass things off on us and make us do them so she didn't have to do it. Um, and look, I see my friends who are moms now and they're, <laughs> they have a lot. So I totally understand as your kids get older, teaching them life skills and also at the same time, taking some pressure off yourself in all the things that moms do in the house. And I 110 million percent support that. I think it's normal and great and all of those things, but I think it's the way that you approach it. Then, you know, of course, the not paying attention to our stepfather severely abusing us in every way possible. Um, which I'm not going to discuss on this podcast. So don't worry if your children are in the car or whatever have you do not worry. Um, I'm not going to, you know, get into that. So no worries there, but he abused us in every way possible. And yes, my mother knew I've said that in podcasts before my mother knew exactly what was going on, what he was doing to me, what he was doing to my brother. And she didn't care. She did not care. Um, and that was just her. I think that what people don't understand, and I'm glad most people don't understand because that means they did not have a narcissistic mother, is that you don't get cared for in the way that people that have a quote unquote normal mother do. So for instance, um, did my mother feed us? Yes. Did my mother take us to the doctor? Sure. Did we go to the dentist? Uh Uh-huh. Were we enrolled in school? Yes. Did we... Yes, yes, yes. All those things. But it was like the bare minimum is how I would describe it. And I know that children that were neglected or children that were, um, uh, their parents left the house and they had to fend for themselves at five and six years old. We didn't have that. We did not have that. But this is not a competition to see who was, you know, more abused than other people. This is, um, a commentary on my mother and, um, her crap and what she did to us and what she allowed our stepfather to do to us. Um, that's what we're talking about here. Um, so basically we got the bare minimum and I think that that's what, um, children of narcissistic mothers get is they get the bare minimum. They get, um, fed, they get clothed, they get housed. Um, But, you know, if there's abuse going on, oh, well, you know, fend for yourself. If there's, uh, you know, um, times when your child is emotionally suffering, they're not going to be there for that. Um, You know, I remember when Kayla had her first instance of a little friend, you know, being mean to her and she was crushed and upset. And Karen um, called me. She talked to her. She held her. She told her it would be okay. And then she called me for the more advanced emotional support. And you know, (laughs) that's okay. That's a mom who cares about her kids. That's a mom who is saying, I might not be able to emotionally say the right things here in the moment, but I know someone who can. And I, and this person is close to my child. So let me enlist their help. And that is awesome. My mother, on the other hand, here's a good example of, um, narcissistic mother parenting. Um, when I got my period, um, I was 11 years old and, uh, 
we lived in California, so that's kind of how I know when things happened in my life. Because you block a lot of it out, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, I got my period. And my mother, of course, never prepared me for getting my period. Uh, So I had no idea that this was coming. I was an 11-year-old child in the bathroom. Blood was coming out. And I left the bathroom probably with some tissue in my, my undies and, you know, my mother crying to my mother. I remember her being in the kitchen and she said, go across the street to Bonnie. She'll explain it to you. Bonnie was our across the street neighbor and she was a nurse. She had two daughters of her own who were a bit younger than me and my brother. Um, so I did that. My mother literally said nothing to me. That's what she said. Go across the street and talk to Bonnie. All right, so I went across the street with tissue in my underwear, bleeding, and Bonnie, you know, put her arms around me and explained to me what was happening. This is normal. You're a growing up woman. All those things. Back then, that would have been in 1975, that you said to, to girls when they were getting their period, this is normal. You're not dying. You know, I'm Jewish. You know, of course I think I'm dying, even at 11 years old. Um, and you're fine. Don't worry. Let me give you some things and explain to you how to use them. And she was the one that helped me, not my own mother. Never spoke to me about it. Would buy me the things I needed a hundred percent, but would not discuss it with me. And that might sound small, but to an 11 year old girl who wasn't taught anything, I wasn't taught anything, nothing. So, you know, was I taught, oh boy, how about my period? No. Was I taught about name a subject? I wasn't taught how to do my hair. I've had to figure that out as an adult with my hairdressers and them guiding me. And they probably have all thought that I was like, I don't know. What is your problem? I had a narcissistic mother my narcissistic mother was way more interested in her own hair than my hair. She was way more interested in her own body than my body. Um, I remember when I asked if I could start shaving my legs because other girls were shaving theirs and they would talk about it in school. And I would go, huh, I'm not doing that. Now my hair was all blonde and you couldn't even see it, but I was at probably 13 when I finally asked my mother and she's like, Oh, for God's sakes, go ahead. Like that, that was a discussion, (laughs) you know, not absolutely honey. Let me show you how to do it. No, I had to figure it out myself. So I've had to figure everything out myself. And by everything, I mean, every goddamn thing. So sometimes I'm not that great at it. Or sometimes I ask questions of people and they look at me like I have 10 heads it's because we, I wasn't taught anything because my mother didn't care. She did not care about us because once we started talking back to her or saying no, as children will do as they grow and it's very normal, that's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to get your own mind and, and, you know, find your own way. Um, my mother thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to her. And so that's kind of how I would describe it. And I'm reading all of these posts from these women in this, you know, daughters of narcissistic mothers group. 
that are like, I don't know why my mother isn't happy for me that I'm engaged. I don't know why my mother isn't happy for me that I'm having a baby. It's because your mother's jealous of you because she is emotionally stunted and she doesn't care about you. She can say all she wants. They post their, their um, texts that they get from their mom and I love you so much and you're my world. That's, they're only saying that because they think they're supposed to say it. They're not really feeling it. And I hate to be that harsh about it, but it's the truth. My mother had a sticky note. She had a stand-up freezer in her kitchen as well as her refrigerator freezer. And there was a post-it on it that we found, well, that I found because it was there when my brother was living there with her the last couple years of her life that said, I love my children. Like she's reminding herself. (laughs) That's not a sticky note that you leave on your like refrigerator or freezer. Like I leave sticky notes for like reminding myself of what I need at the store or what I need to do today or, uh, I don't know, whatever they're reminders. I don't need to be reminded that I love my children because I just love them. And it's not something that I'm going to forget about. And no, my mother did not have dementia. She had nothing like that. She was a malignant narcissist. They love themselves and that's it. And I think when I was born, see, trying to piece it together between my aunt and the stuff that like my mother left behind a scrapbook of her and my dad dating. And she wrote little things that were so like cute and like my dad was the love of her life and all of these things. I think that she was probably always a narcissist. But going through the horrific car accident she did when she was 18, that my dad was driving the car, not his fault. Um, They got married because my mom's face was basically ruined. Back then, of course, plastic surgery wasn't what it is today. And she probably felt marked for life. And I'm sure my dad felt responsible because he was that type of a person. And they got married and they didn't have kids for 14 years. And my uncle will say my dad was like, no kids, no kids. I think, I don't know if my mother was, was traumatized in childhood. I have no idea. Maybe she was, let's say she was, and that created this personality disorder or exacerbated it. And then she had a horrific accident at 18. And then, you know, she, her mental health was not good. So my dad was like, no kids, we cannot have kids. And then as soon as my uncle said, what are you stupid? You have to have kids. Come on. Back in the day, that's what everybody thought. You have to. If you're able, you have to. So they had me. I had a nanny from the time I was born because why? My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Well, probably because my dad was worried. And so he put somebody else there. And my mother would say things to me all the time about her jealousy of me. And even when I was a little kid, what are you jealous of a four-year-old that's your daughter? What? Why are you jealous of me? I'm your kid. Like, I think it was the attention that my dad gave me. And then when my brother came along and it was just like, I don't know. I think it just brought up all these things for her, good or bad. And she just couldn't handle it. And her mental health went as, as we got older, her mental health got worse and worse and worse. And, you know, unfortunately, there's no way for me to talk to her about it. Anytime you would try to talk to her about it, She would say, uh, we had a perfect childhood. I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm not her daughter, blah, 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 blah. And that's horrible. That is horrible. 
anytime you disagreed with her, you know, after my dad even passed away, she left my dad for another person. She was a cheater. Those are the facts. Um, even after my dad died, even up until just before she died, which my dad was almost dead 40 years, she was telling us in a negative fashion. Oh, you're just like your dad. You're trying to confuse me with facts and logic and all these things. Well, um, I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm trying to have a discussion, but apparently no. So for those of you who may think that those, those of us who are daughters of narcissistic mothers are just like, I don't know, it's a made up thing. It's not a real problem, whatever. Or you just don't know because you've never experienced it. Thank God. I'm glad you haven't. These are the ways that we were treated and it is not okay. And if you were treated like that, I want you to seek some assistance, some help, get into a group, go to a therapist, talk to your friends, your spouse, someone like me, whatever. But you did not deserve to be treated like that. It was not you. All these people in this group think it's their fault. They aren't good enough daughters. They are. And I get it. And that's why we're all there to support each other. And if you were treated like that, I'm here to tell you, you are good enough. You always have been. And it wasn't you. And let's all support each other.